And it was so funny. I got the best text ever. I won't tell you who it's from, but right after service, I got the best text ever. I look at my phone. We're sitting down for lunch. I look, and somebody texts me a picture of two ding-dongs in a bowl, right? I thought, oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, it doesn't stop there. The next picture was chocolate ice cream on top of those two ding-dongs. And the next picture was chocolate syrup on top of the ice cream on top of the chocolate ding-dongs. And so if that doesn't make you hungry, I don't know what will. But that wasn't really the direction I was going. But, you know, it, uh, some take it differently. But it, I thought it was fun. It was a fun text I got last week. But, so we're going to continue down this, this trail of hungry and what does it mean for us. And we're going to talk about developing a hunger for God. And so get that in your heart today, developing a hunger for God, because really the prerequisite of spiritual passion is hunger for God. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about passion. So when I say passion, I'm talking about a hunger for God. They kind of go hand in hand with each other. And so, but, but for there to develop a genuine hunger for God, we got to make room for our lives for God to do a new thing, don't we? And sometimes when we have to make room in God in our lives for God to do works, that means maybe some old things have to go, right? But in order for there to be room, you know, we, we got to make room. So, so the question this morning is, so how hungry for God are you? Are you hungry at all? Or are you filled up on, on the things of life? Because we're going to look at a story in 2 Kings chapter 4, a very familiar story about someone who is very hungry. And so it's a story about a lady in crisis, and most of you know the story. The prophet Elisha is involved in this. And let's look, let's, let's identify her crisis this morning. In chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we're going to identify the crisis that she's going through. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my children, two children, to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. Okay, so let's identify some things that she's going through in this story that we know so far, right? So right off the bat, you know this lady is in emotional pain, right? We understand this from just those two verses. She's in emotional pain. Why? Because her husband is gone. Her husband passed. Some of you here this morning can relate to that. You've lost a spouse. You've lost a loved one. So you understand the emotional pain that she's going through right now, right? So we see that emotional pain. You also see there's financial pain, don't you? You understand this, that the debt of her husband has been left to her. And she's penniless. Not only they're they're in debt, they have no way to make payments, right? And so it's like, in other words, the creditors are calling her saying, hey, you owe us, you owe us. The bills are stacking up. And some of us know how that feels, right? And so we see the financial pain. So these are just some of the things that she's going through. Emotional pain, financial pain. Oh, yeah, and there's physical pain that she's going through. The refrigerator's empty, and so it's probably been empty for a little while. And so she's gone days, her and her sons have gone days without food. At that point, your stomach is, is empty. Some of us don't know what that feels like. But at that point, her stomach is completely empty. And so then what happens? 
Well, then all the, all, the, all the stuff starts to eat away at the lining of your stomach and causing you physical pain because there's no food. And so there's physical pain. So we see emotional pain. We see financial pain. We see physical pain. And then we see maternal pain in her life, don't we? So not only the creditors come in verse 1, they come back to take the children to be sold as slaves. Can you imagine? Can you imagine owning oh, so much money, you have nothing, all you have is your kids. They're like, okay, we'll take them. And they legit are going to take them away and sell them into slavery, and she will never see them again. So again, that, that maternal pain you're seeing. And then there's a spiritual pain also we recognize here. Look at verse 1 again. Your servant, my husband, feared the Lord. Do you hear the underlying question in that? Do you see what she's hinting at? I've heard this many times from people in distress that, you know, Elisha. Elisha, we feared the Lord. I feared the Lord. My husband feared the Lord. My husband served the Lord. And I'm in this kind of mess? Come on, how many has not said that? I mean, I, I come to church every week, I meet with God, and yet still I'm going through all this pain. Come on, we've all been there, haven't we? So we can relate, and we, we know that she needs a spiritual breakthrough in her life. And I believe there's some of you this morning, you need a spiritual breakthrough in your life. We can take your story. We can start listening to all the pain you're going through right now. And you say, I need a spiritual breakthrough in my life. Maybe you've been hurt by relationships or maybe you've been hurt by the absence of relationships. Maybe there's other pain that you feel every day in your life. Maybe it's a financial situation. Creditors are knocking at your door. Maybe it's a physical situation that your body is just not what it used to be. It's failing you. Maybe it's a parental situation. You're watching your children as they turn from everything you've taught them, everything they used to believe. Maybe it's just spiritual pain that just doesn't seem like God's being very fair to you right now. And you need a breakthrough. Well, in our text, the woman cries out to the prophet because her pain is too much to bear. This is what pain of a crisis does for us. It ultimately drives you to the Lord, doesn't it? It drives us to the Lord. In fact, whenever you read in the Bible and you, you, you see the verses, you see it all the time, they cried out to the Lord. Why? Because they encountered a desperate situation. And here, this woman, she encounters a desperate situation, doesn't she? She encounters a desperate situation, so she, she cries out. She wants to know, what does God have to say? What does God intend to do about her crisis? How does God intend to give her a breakthrough? She wants to know, so she's desperately crying out to God right now. Why? Because her situation is bigger than any human in her life can fix. She's got nowhere else to turn. Creditors at the door, they're going to take her most prized possession. So first principle I want us to see this morning and what I want you to take away this morning is you'll never discover that God is all you need until God is all you have. 
You'll never discover God is all you need until God is all you have. When you're at the place, when you're at this place, the same place that she's at, you're not playing, praying some casual prayer, are you? You're not worried about your, your, your sentence structure. You're not worried about your vows, your nouns. You're not worried about theology. You're not worried about saying thou and this and all that. You're just crying out to God, right? Because you're desperate. There's no more sophisticated prayers. There's no more no worrying about your words. There's just crying out. The kind of crying out that someone in the other room might just hear your prayer because you're crying out to God. Just think of, a, of an infant, of a child crying out. This weekend, I was at a conference. I was in a hotel room. The room next door to me, there was a child crying out all night long. I wanted to get up and feed this kid because I wanted to sleep, right? But this child, what happens? Just think of that situation. That child does not care one bit who hears him. All he knows is he's hungry. He wants to get fed, and somebody's going to feed him. And so they cry out. They don't whimper. They don't please. Right? They're not trying to say food, food, rot. They're just screaming and talking to their lungs. They're crying out. Why? Because they're desperate. They need something. I mean, why, why, why do you think passion doesn't just automatically develop in us? I mean, think about it. If Jesus really did say, Blessed is one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they shall be filled, shouldn't we all be passionate, right? But why don't we see more of God's power, more of God's presence today? The answer is very simple we're too full. We're too full. When's the last time you cried out like an infant because you were hungry? My wife says I cry out because I'm hungry all the time, but I don't believe her. We're too full in our lives. We got, we got full of this world, full of, uh, I've got a good job, I've got a great family, life is good. You know, God's great, but I'm not in a crisis right now. So I'll do my safe little prayers, and I'll be all right. I don't have to cry out. We're too full of ourselves. We're too full of money. We're too full of our abilities. But see, the pre prerequisite of spiritual passion is spiritual hunger, and you've got to be hungry to get to that spot. So the question today is, how hungry are you to experience the things of God? In fact, you can put it this way. I think we have a slide, Johnny. Hunger equals passion. Hunger equals passion. How passionate are you for God? Well, how hungry are you for God? Because that's going to equal to your passion. Usually passion is a driving force. Think about it. Passion takes somebody from one place to another place, doesn't it? If you have passion for something in your life, you do it, you get better at it, you get proficient at it, you learn more about it, right? Because why? You're passionate about it. And if you learn more, you grow more, you're probably going to progress more in life because you're passionate about that. But without passion, you're always going to stay where you're at and you're not going to go anywhere else, are you? 
We see so many people like this in our world today. You know so many people like this that without passion, it's like, oh, everything's okay. Well, everything's okay. You're just going to stay right there. You're not going to go anywhere, are you? If you want to progress in your job, you've got to be passionate, don't you? It means you've got to do more than the next guy. You've got to work harder. You've got to learn more. You've got to develop. You've got to grow more than that guy so you can advance in your job. But so many people today, they're like, oh, I'm good. I know some of the most talented people in the world who have no passion. They're stuck fiddling in their garage where they could be, I mean, the sky's the limit of some of these people. There's no passion. There's no drive, so they're not going anywhere. They're just wasting. Why? Because they're the fool. They're just full. This woman wanted it so bad, Scripture says she cried out. She let her voice be heard. She needed things to be different in life. Listen, when, when God allows a, a crisis to come to your life, one of its goals is to make you hungry enough for change. Make you hungry. There, there's got to be something that spurs you to, to, to do something differently. It's like a red flag for us. Remember, if we're not hungry, that's a red flag, isn't it? If you're not hungry, that means something's wrong. Spiritually, if we're not hungry for more of God, something's wrong. And so sometimes God allows these things to happen to kind of get our attention, kind of a red flag that something's not right. We need to change, right? Think about in photography. Now, I know this is a rarity today, but used to they have a dark room, right? And it was completely dark, and the photographer would go in there and develop their film, right? In this dark room, there was no light could be found. Their sole aim, the sole aim as a photographer in a dark room is to turn a negative into a positive. That's the aim of it, right? And so there's purpose in that. And the purpose of our dark times is often to get us ready for the light. There, I'm getting some really crazy feedback here. So if God has you in a dark place, maybe its purpose is to take the negative of your life and turn it into positive. This woman is crying out to the prophet of God because she wants to hear from the Lord, doesn't she? Elijah says this in verses 2 to 4. Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing else except for a jar of oil. And he said, okay, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, neighbors, empty the vessels, not too few. Then go in, shut the doors behind yourselves and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So you're reading this story. It's a little odd advice, isn't it? Right? Go get all these empty vessels. Like, what are you thinking? Okay? So Elijah says, I want you to gather all your neighbors, clay pots, cooking pans, any kind of pot, vessels, vases, anything they've got, right? One, but one, make sure they're empty. And two, make sure they're not just few in number. So make sure they're empty and gather as many as you can. In that situation, what was she thinking? She had to be scratching her head. I mean, I mean, you know the end of the story, so don't jump ahead on me. But just think for that exact moment, you know her story. She's in all this pain, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, 
all this is going on in her life. All this is literally crashing down all around her. And this man of God says, go gather up some empty pots. Do you think that's what she wanted to hear? No. Not at all. She's got to be thinking, you're loony. You're nuts. This is not what I need. Did you not hear what I needed? Elisha, I, I, I need money. I need help. I don't need this, this wild stuff that you're talking about. She says, I, I am empty. I don't even have anything but this one little jar of cooking oil. I don't even have anything to cook in the jar of cooking oil. Elisha says, I know. But go get all, listen to this. Elisha says, I know, but go get all the additional emptiness you can anyway. Think about that. Okay, she had emptiness, right? She had nothing. Elisha says, go get more emptiness. Again, she's got to be flipping a lid right here. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I am broken. I am empty. And you're telling me to go get more emptiness and bring it into my life? Now, stay with me. I, it, we're going somewhere. Because Elisha says, I don't only want your emptiness. I want you to go get your neighbor's emptiness. Multiplied emptiness. I mean, now we're getting crazy. Some of you in here, you have multiplied emptiness in your life. In other words, you're a mess and the folks you live with are a mess, right? Are you with me? Have you ever found yourself saying, everybody wants to bring their problems to me. I've got enough of my own problems, right? Like, I've got emptiness. I don't need your emptiness. You keep your stinking emptiness, right? But maybe you're one that always gets all everybody's emptiness and you're in her position. So she's got her own emptiness and now Elisha says, go gather more emptiness. It's more than a person can take. Some of you know how that feels this morning. There's a second principle here, and I don't want you to lose sight of it, but it's a key to spiritual feeling. The amount of your emptiness will determine the amount of your feeling. So think about it. The amount of your emptiness is going to determine the amount of your feeling. So when God connects your emptiness with the emptiness of those around you, God is increasing the potential of your feeling. Did you get that? So your emptiness plus their emptiness, guess what? That requires more, doesn't it? That's more feeling available to you. Because the amount of your emptiness determines the amount of your feeling. And so it just makes sense, right? Common sense. What the prophet did was he gave her a new perspective. A different approach to a normal problem, right? A different approach that she would not have thought about, was she? Like, she had emptiness. She don't want no more emptiness, right? This is about to break her. And so this is definitely a different approach because we, you know, we all have been here. We all have debts. We all have pain. We all have crisis. And she gets the, the, the response that no one else in the world would have gave her. A banker would not have given us. A creditor would not have given us. Nobody would give her this, this, uh, this, this process. Go gather more emptiness. Because if you read it, the Lord is wanting to increase her emptiness. So now she's faced with this question. And you're faced with the same question. 
This question, it does not make sense. I have my own. I don't need yours, but you're telling me to grab theirs too? Okay, now she's faced with the question, do I believe the man of God or do I not? Do I believe what he's saying, what God is saying, or do I not? Just think about it. Sometimes we cry out to God and we get an answer from God, don't we? But we don't like the answer because it doesn't make sense to us. It, it, maybe the answer requires us to step into the unknown, and we don't like that. So we pray to God. We're in our crisis. We're in our emptiness. We say, God, I need you. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to do that. God says, okay, I want you to do this. You're like, oh, hang on a second. That doesn't make sense. I'm empty. I'm broken. And you're telling me to give more? Did you not hear my prayer? I cried out to you. We don't like the answer because it requires us to step into the unknown. Really what it boils down to is Hebrews eleven sixteen. Without faith it's impossible to please God. God gives us the answer. But in our mind... It doesn't make sense. In our mind, it's not logical. So the question is, when I'm seeking a passion for God, is do I believe God? Because when it comes to getting a breakthrough from God, he's often going to bring odd methods to validate whether or not we trust him. Think about it. If you're looking for neat, clean, well-defined steps, ABCs of Christian life, you can forget about it. Because <laughs> that's not how God operates, right? Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I love this verse. Because this verse challenges me, doesn't it? This verse goes from... My little box of what I can think of, what I can create, and I'm pretty creative. And it expands that to, okay, what can God think of? How can God be creative? And his ways are higher than my ways. So anytime something doesn't fit in my little box, I say, thank you, Jesus. That means I serve a God that's higher than I am. A God whose thoughts are way beyond my thoughts. And he sees a door and I don't see a door. He sees potential. When I see emptiness, he's saying, compound that emptiness. I'm like, you're crazy. He said, no, I'm getting ready to do a miracle for you. But yet we don't see it, and so we don't accept it, and we don't believe. So when it comes to seeing God do what you want done in your life, God may have you take some odd steps. So the question is, okay, what, what's, what's your response going to be? When you get to that place and God says, I want you to do this. When you get to that place where you got $12 left in your bank account and God said, I want you to give some offering today. And you're like, are you kidding me? I think we're looking at the same statement, God. I don't know. Where God says, hey, I want you to go check on so-and-so. Like, God, have you not heard my prayers? You not see what I'm going through. You don't see how I'm feeling. I need somebody to check on me. I'm not in a condition to check on somebody else. Those odd requests. Are you going to trust God or, or, or not? So what's going to be our response? So verse 5. 
So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons, and she poured, as she poured, they brought vessels to her. Let me ask you a question this morning. When your alarm went off telling you to get up, you made a decision to obey the alarm, didn't you? You made a decision to obey the alarm even though you didn't feel like it. Come on. You decided that you would be in the house of God this morning. You would obey the clock and you got up, right? Or maybe your wife got you up. Whatever it was, you made a decision, right? Just like that alarm clock this morning, God's alarm often seems to go off at the wrong time, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You're like, God, why can't you do that last week? I was in a really good place last week, but now you're asking me to do this. I'm not in a good place. God, you want me to give? I don't have anything to give. I don't even have a smile to give at this point. You're asking me, come on. God, God, God's methodologies ring in the wrong way to us sometimes, but the question of faith is never a question of feelings. You understand that? The question of faith is never a question of feelings. It's never a question of, oh, how do I feel about what God just told me? No, it's about faith, not feelings. It's about taking that step of faith and not going by your feelings. And sometimes I don't feel like doing things. Come on, I'm not the only one in here. I don't feel like smiling sometimes. Let's be honest. I don't feel like texting so-and-so, checking up on so-and-so, doing There's some days I don't feel that. There's some days I don't feel like praying. Come on, don't fire me. And so those days I know that I can't go by my feelings because my feelings are going to let me down. And so I go by faith. I take a giant step of faith and say, God, you know I don't really want to be here. I feel like Jonah right now. I really don't want to be here, but I'm doing this. And so you take a giant step of faith. I really don't feel like going checking my neighbor right now. I need somebody checking me, but I'm going to take a giant step of faith this morning. Why? Because I'm going by faith and I'm not going by my feelings. It's not that your feelings aren't real. And so they can't be easily dismissed, but it's, it's, a, it's a question of faith. So faith is a matter of obedience. Faith is a matter of whether or not you're going to act on what God has said. And so you get up when alarm rings, you've acted no matter how you feel. We have to get to the point where we act no matter how we feel when God is calling us to act in faith. We have to get to the point where we believe that when we're acting in faith, God's going to change how we feel. This lady was hungry, literally and spiritually hungry. So how hungry are you this morning? You know how you can tell? Have you ever noticed that when you're real hungry, sophistication doesn't matter anymore? Right? Have you ever been to one of these dinners, and I was recently at one, you sit down, and there's like four forks. I'm like, really? I mean, I'm pretty skilled with just one fork. I don't know I need four forks. I, this one could do a pretty good job for me. But there's like four, and you're like, you sit down, you're like, okay, where do you start? Like, I have not been educated on a salad fork, a, a, a dessert fork, or a dinner fork. I don't know. A fork's a fork, except for the tiny little crab forks. I know that one, you know. I got that one down. 
Other than that, a fork's a fork, right? And so when you're hungry, you don't sit down and you don't say, okay, I'm having a salad, so I think the salad fork maybe is, is up top. I don't, and so you don't, you don't just take time and you sit down and you process. When you're hungry, you don't care. You're hungry. You're lucky I'm using a fork, baby. I mean, I'm going at it, right? I mean, come on. You're hungry. You go by the kitchen stove. You're not looking for a fork, are you? You're reaching in. You know, I'm grabbing whatever's on the top. You know, you can get the one, the green bean that's on the top sticking up. I mean, that's prime, right? You just grab that and you just pop because you're hungry, right? You're not waiting until you're all down, sitting, you got the forks, you got the, the napkins, you got all this. No, that's all out the window. I'm hungry. You get a pizza on the way home, that pizza's smelling really good. Come on, who hasn't? You open that lid, you reach over, you pull that, you you know, fold that sucker in half, New York style, and you go to town and get a little grease on it. That's okay. I'm hungry, right? Sophistication goes out the window, and that's when you know that you're hungry. People in the street, they don't care how they get as long as they eat food, don't they? When you're hungry enough, you don't care what other people think. You don't look at them and say, Oh, am I using the right fork here? I could care less. I'm hungry. I'm going to get some food. This woman was hungry enough for an answer from God that she shut all the doors in verse 5, went to work, and began pouring like God told her to do. So you see, when, when you're hurting, it's natural, normal to focus on us, isn't it? When we're hurting, when we, when we got all this weight upon us, we're going through financial, spiritual, parental, all this pain is upon us. This brings us to the third point. When we're hurting and we're in a place of great need, that's a time to minister to others. Again, this is one of those odd ones that we don't like, if we're being honest this morning. Because when we're hurting and we're in pain, we want to be ministered to, don't we? In other words, when you see when God sees that you're willing to cry out not only for your emptiness, but the emptiness of others, not only so you can be blessed, but also to be a blessing, then you have, then you have God giving you much more than you ever asked for. You see, most of the time when you're looking for our blessing, we forget everybody else around us, don't we? I, God, I need this. God, I want this. God, I, I need this. Elisha says, go to your neighbors. Go to your neighbors, intercede for them. Take on their emptiness. Are you kidding me? Do you see where I'm at? Like, I think my kids are about to be taken from me. I don't care about my neighbors at this point. And God's saying, hey, go check on your neighbors. Go get their emptiness. It doesn't make sense. In a human eye, it doesn't make sense. But in God's eye, it makes perfect sense. When God sees he can minister through you, and to you, to the degree of your emptiness, that's going to determine the degree of your feeling. And we're going to look at the last two verses. These are, these are important to see here. Verse 6. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another. And he said to her, that, that's it. There's not a, another one. And the oil stopped flowing. And she cried out to God for more for herself. 
was willing to take on the emptiness of others, God multiplied that little she had. And I need, I need to wrap us up. Verse 7. She came, she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay off your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Here's a beautiful part of this story. Her solution already existed before she cried out to God, didn't it? She couldn't see it. It was right there all this time. The answer to her problem was in her house, but she didn't know it. She didn't have the spiritual eyes that Elisha had to see the answer to her dilemma. She thought she was hungry. She cried out. She thought that was enough. The reality, she wasn't empty enough. For the end of that verse 7 there, now get out of debt and you and your sons can live in a rest. What is she wanting in verse 1? Verse 1, she cries out for relief for her debt, right? That's all she cared about. That's all she could focus on. I just need out of this debt, right? She went to God for a debt breakthrough, but God gave her not only relief for the debt, right? But he also gave her enough to live on. That's how you know it's from God. That's not only that one thing you little prayed for, but everything else that, that you needed in your life. When it's from God, it exceeds abundantly more than we could ever ask for, doesn't it? That's how we know it's for, from God. And so that's my question to you this morning. That's my last question. How hungry are you? How hungry am I? I know some of you need a breakthrough, so how hungry are you? Are you hungry enough to passionately pursue God and be used of God passionately to help somebody else? Are you that hungry? Are you that hungry to cry out to God, not to worry about your, your prayer, not to worry about does it sound eloquent enough? Is it theologi theologically correct enough? Did I use enough big words? Are you hungry enough to just cry out to God no matter who hears you? Or are you full this morning? Did you eat too much snacks before you came to church this morning? Becomes a cheap substitute for legitimate hunger. To me, people just want to snack on God, don't they? I, I, I just want a, a sermon snack. Something simple, something short. If you could keep, keep it to eight words, Pastor, that'd be great. We just want to come to church for a little nibble, a little snack, you know? God wants to help people who's passionately pursuing Him. You know, they're. they're all kinds of diet fads in the world, right? All kinds of pills. These, the, everybody wants a pill, the magic pill, right? These pills people take sometimes, what they do is, is, is they don't remove the hunger. They just mask it, don't they? And so they, they're still hungry. You're still hungry, but you just don't recognize it. You just don't know it. In reality, what you're doing is you're starving yourself to death. God has invited you and I to dine at his table. I mean, I, I, if you think on that too hard, it, it'll break you. That God has invited you and I to dine at his table. So many times we're like, no, I'm good. I'm full. I had a little snack. Had one too many Reese's. So this morning, let's not settle 
on snacks. Let's just develop this passion inside of us that, yeah, we might be going through something right now. We might have so much pain in our life that we can't even see straight. Yet God's asking you to do something that doesn't make sense. But are you hungry enough to do what he's asking you to do? Are you hungry enough to go by faith and not feelings this morning? Are you hungry enough to have a passion to pursue him no matter what he's asking you to do this morning? Would you stand with us? God's looking for some growling stomachs this morning. He's not interested in spiritual McDonald's for folks to drive through. He's like, come and dine at my table. Come and sit at my table. Come get full at my table. Come get what you need at my table. Come get a breakthrough at my table. And so you can bring your emptiness. Or you could be like this widow lady and say, hey, Hey, why don't you, I, hey I, my God's big enough to fill your emptiness. Your emptiness, your emptiness, your emptiness. Some of you need a breakthrough in here this morning. Let God start to stir up that appetite for him. That hunger for him. Quit allowing these substitutes to get in the way and just passionately pursue God. Cry out to God. This morning, would you cry out to God, Heavenly Father? Oh, Lord, we need you this morning, Jesus. <laughs> Lord, we need a breakthrough this morning, Father. There's some in here that need a breakthrough, Lord Jesus, God. God, there's some of us who are walking through so much pain this morning, Father. They need a spiritual breakthrough, Lord God. God, they need a miracle in their life this morning, Father. Oh, Lord, I pray that you stir up a spiritual hunger inside of them, Lord God. A spiritual hunger for more of you, Lord Jesus. God, a passion to seek you, Lord Jesus, God. God, stir up just a desire in them, Lord Jesus, God, for a spiritual move in their life, Lord Jesus, God. Oh, God, that we get hungry this morning, God. God, that we're a people with a growling stomach for you, Father. Lord, that we cry out to you, Lord God, and we listen and we go by faith, Lord God. Not by feelings, Lord God. Faith of what you're asking us to do. Faith of what you're asking of us, Lord God. And not by feelings this morning, Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, fill us this morning, Father. Fill us this morning, Jesus. God, that you would create a spiritual appetite in every one of us in here this morning, Father. We get hungry for you, hungry for the things of you, hungry for the ways of you, hungry for your word, Lord God, hungry to spend time with you, hungry to worship you, God, hungry to talk to you, hungry to listen to you this morning, Father. That we become a 
people with a spiritual appetite, Lord. In precious holy name we pray. Amen, amen. These altars are open as always. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys.